Hello, I'm Jody, and I'm a mama on a mission to encourage parents to take their power back. I know from personal experience how your gut is leading you in one direction, while the world is telling you that you are going the wrong way. You are convinced that you are the crazy one for believing hope is alive and healing is possible. You are manipulated to believe that you are not capable or smart enough to make life-altering decisions for your baby. I've stood in those doctor's offices. I've even been kicked out of plenty of them. Welcome, friends, to a space where you are allowed to ask questions and you are allowed to step into your power as a mama bear that has always been within you. You are not the crazy one. Well, hello, warriors. Welcome back to the Freedom Cast. Um, and this is actually an episode I have been meaning to do for quite some time. Uh, first of all, if you are new to the Freedom Cast, welcome. My name is Jody, and I, I am your host here. We talk about a lot of different things, but you know, the, the door that really I think opened and why I am even here today talking about lots of different topics, anything from politics to natural health to today, our story of autism recovery and a, a little bit deeper conversation as it relates to autism is because of what we walked through. I firmly believe that if we did not have the experience in front of us of having a very sick child, yes, having a vaccine injured child, I will get into that in a moment, because already I can tell you some people may be listening to this and going, well, vaccines don't cause autism. And you know what, guys, that is a very dangerous statement to make. It's dangerous for a few reasons. Number one, because vaccines do have side effects. Plain and simple, read the insert. Vaccines can kill, vaccines can harm, vaccines can have significant side effects, and yes, autism is listed on the insert of vaccines. But that's not the whole story. And see, that's what culture and society wants you to believe. If you are a parent who has a child who has been vaccine injured, or has a child who has a chronic condition, chronic illness. This could be anything from ADHD to autism, to food allergies, to asthma, to sensory processing, to diabetes. All of these things are actually side effects of vaccines. They're also side effects of environmental factors, of poor food quality, of pesticides, of chemicals that we're exposed to. So see, the thing is, is that the world wants you to think in a one-dimensional approach. And if I look back at even our story, it's not one-dimensional. It's multifaceted. And that's what makes autism so challenging for people is because there is not a one-dimensional approach. Are there triggers? Yes. Are there reasons? Yes. Is it preventable? Yes. But when I look at even where we are at today as a family and and how I came to this place of speaking out so boldly about autism. And by the way, getting deleted several times because of it, getting censored, getting made fun of, having the trolls come after me, having all kinds of things written about me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because my identity is not in the acceptance of other people. But it took me a while to get to that place. And so I think there is, you know, when we're looking at this conversation of autism, there's a few things at play here. There is the emotional part. There's no doubt that barriers exist for parents, for human beings, for people who are not parents, even who are struggling with health challenges themselves. There's barriers that exist that are deeply emotional. There's guilt, there's shame, there's anger, there's frustration, there's a whole lot of things. And then there's the world and culture and the pediatrician you go to for your well check appointment, thinking that you're doing the best job you can as a parent, going to your well checks, checking the boxes, doing all the things, only to be told, no such thing. Autism is not caused by vaccines. In fact, autism is unexplainable. I, the pediatrician, 
cannot explain it to you, the parent. This is what it feels like in that office, right? They don't have an explanation other than it's unexplainable. To me, that's not good enough. So I am passionate beyond belief of helping to get this message out and save one child at a time. Because I know what it feels like. We have walked through the fire and we have seen the other side. And it doesn't mean that everyone's going to have the same outcome that we've had. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to have the same story, the same journey. But there is hope and there is knowledge. And there is this little thing called truth, which is something the world seems to be very afraid of lately, is the truth. Because the truth exposes vulnerability. The truth exposes lies. And it's very hard for people to believe that they have been lied to. It's very hard for a parent to be in a pediatrician's office and think, no way that my pediatrician would steer me wrong. There's no way that my pediatrician would lie to me. And maybe they, they aren't consciously doing it. Maybe it's something that they've been taught in medical school. Maybe it's all the, the literature, the one narrative literature that they're reading. So they believe that, and then that's what they tell you. So I want to begin with just a little synopsis of our story. And by the way, you can find our full story, everything that we walked through, the emotional healing that occurred both in me and my family and my children, what we did, how we detoxed, the steps that we put in place to heal, everything from start to the ongoing story, I'll say, of autism recovery. Back when I first became curious about becoming a mother, and I'll say curious because I think I really was maybe that in that place of life where I thought, I don't know if I want to be a mom. I don't know if I want to take on that responsibility. But yet the other part of me was, I really want to be a mom. I meant to be a mother. There's no greater gift than being a mother and being a parent. And so we became pregnant, my husband and I, meaning I became pregnant. No, men cannot become pregnant. I'm sorry. That, that, that's a whole other freedom cast, guys. <laughs> we do talk about all the things here. So I became pregnant for the first time. And it was quite challenging. I was very sick. I had a lot of morning sickness. And this, by the way, was a time in my life that I was not very open to alternative ways. Meaning, if I had morning sickness, I wanted something to take my morning sickness away. And so I did some Zofran, right? I took some Zofran probably in the first maybe couple months of my pregnancy because I had such extreme nauseousness, almost to the point of needing to get fluids and just really, really extreme nauseousness. But other than that, it was a pretty typical pregnancy, I would say. And I, I did the things that I thought were responsible. Don't eat sushi or stay away from raw fish. Try to be careful with what you're taking. Take a prenatal. I mean, it was probably one from GNC as far as I can remember. <laughs> which was not the best source or quality looking back now. But this was well before I even had my eyes open to anything that was alternative or natural. And I was very much trusting of the medical system. Although I will say, there's something that sort of happens to you when you become pregnant or you become a mom for the first time, or or maybe there is that moment in your life that something happens and changes, and maybe there's a diagnosis, and we sort of have our aha moment. So I think little by little, there was just a, a bit of nudging in my gut. And at the time, I was also just beginning to get started in a group called MOPS. Many of you maybe have heard of it or maybe have been a part of it, Mothers of Preschoolers. Now, I didn't have a preschooler, but you know, you're welcome there anytime. And it's such a wonderful organization to help um, mothers connect with one another. So I was pregnant. We had just joined a new church and I thought, I'm going to go meet some new people and go to the MOPS class or MOPS gathering. 
And it was at that gathering, at the table that I sat with and the people that I met, the women that I met, who some had already had children. So they're, they were in the newborn stage. Some had toddlers, some were pregnant. We were, we were sort of all in that under five, children under five stage or pregnant. And I began to listen and observe at the table to what they were saying. And I thought it was so strange that some of them were talking about not vaccinating their children or having a home birth or encapsulating their placenta or not using the traditional Johnson and Johnson stuff or God forbid, starting to make your own baby food. That was crazy to me. But that's actually what started to plant some seeds in my gut. So then as our story continued to progress and I got to the point of our son was nearing the labor birth stage, getting pretty close to him entering the world. And I thought, well, I have to find a pediatrician. Got to go to well checks. You know, I'm not equipped as a mother to take care of my child. I have to outsource to a pediatrician. I have to outsource to people who know more than me, who have more education than I do. God forbid I try to take that power back. That's where I was at the time. So I went and I interviewed some pediatricians. And I remember sitting there asking a few exploratory, curious questions about vaccines. And not even in a, in a way of that I knew anything or that I was questioning them, but really just saying, what do you think about vaccines? And I was so surprised that I was met with such anger, such defensiveness. And there was one pediatrician in particular that without me even saying a word, it must have been something about my aura. I don't know. I didn't even say a word. And the first thing he said to me was, if you think autism is caused by vaccines, and if you are not going to follow the CDC schedule, then you cannot be a patient of ours. And I think that was quite shocking to me because I wasn't even down that path yet. I, that wasn't even a part of our story. That wasn't even something I was questioning. Now, at the time, one of the biggest things out there was uh, Jenny McCarthy talking very boldly and openly about her son and autism and vaccines. And I do remember her being just sort of torn apart in the media. And I always thought that was interesting because to me, I thought, well, if that's her story, if that's something that is important and she's talking about it, why are they trying to silence her? Why are they, why are they being so mean about it? So there has to be something there. But yet I still wasn't at that place of questioning. I still wasn't at that place of standing boldly in my truth. And, and where I'm at now, 14 years later than where I was when I was pregnant with our first son. So we chose a different pediatrician. And I remember even asking him, do you mind if I space out his vaccines? I'm not sure I'm comfortable doing six at a time or eight at a time or nine at a time because that is what they receive, friends. Look at the schedule. Look at the schedule. And I want you to look and ask yourself this question. Two questions, actually. Number one, why do well checks line up with the CDC vaccine schedule? Why? What's the purpose and what's the point? If a well check is to ensure that your child is doing well, why does it line up with the CDC schedule? And number two, what has happened to the health of now probably two generations of children, I would say, maybe almost three because it started in the 80s, but really upticked in the 90s when uh, vaccine manufacturers finally figured out how much money they could make and how much immunity they could have. Look at the schedule and how it's changed. Compare it from 1976 or 1978 or 1980 to now. And has, have children become healthier 
or have they become sicker? Those two questions, just ask and see what your intuition says. So we started going to this pediatrician and everything was fine. They were, they were okay with me spacing it out. And actually, just to backtrack a tiny bit, the labor process, the birthing process was very traditional. Uh, I was not in a place that I felt I even had the choice or the option to have a home birth. Nobody told me I could. I didn't do the research. It didn't even dawn on me that that would be something to do. In fact, I probably thought that women who had babies in their home were crazy. Now I will tell you, please have your child in your home and stay as far away from the medical industrial complex as possible. So it was a traditional birth eight-hour labor, uh, a epidural, because I was deathly afraid of how much pain I would experience, because that's what happens, is what do we hear? We hear, oh my gosh, it's so painful. You don't have to do that. You can take drugs. In fact, you can even schedule a C-section around your tennis schedule or your social schedule. Oh, how different things have become from years ago. So it was a very traditional birth. I was strep B positive as well, which meant I got antibiotics at birth, which means in, in the IV, I received antibiotics and anything I received, my child is going to be exposed to. So although it was a vaginal birth, I do firmly believe that there is an impact. And I mean, it's not even my belief, it's proven that when we have antibiotics, it destroys our gut bacteria, which can have an effect on our baby and our baby's gut bacteria. So, you know, really imagine this child entering the world in a way a little bit handicapped because of poor gut health. And then there's the eye goop, which by the way, did you know that eye goop is like for gonorrhea? So if you don't have gonorrhea, I mean, I don't know why you need it. Personal choice, research it, but just know it's, it's a, it's a, uh, what they would consider a routine common procedure that everyone receives because they're worried they're going to miss somebody with gonorrhea. I would say, wouldn't that be the responsibility of the adult to say, hey, I have gonorrhea or hey, I have hepatitis. And then then something can happen from there. But instead, it's a mass inoculation of everyone. So then there's a hepatitis B, which is given often within minutes sometimes within the first hour, and I would say at least almost always given within the first few hours of birth, where a child has so many developing organs still. Their brain is developing, their body is developing, their gut health is developing. And, and again, if there's been antibiotic exposure or other medication exposure, their gut health could be sort of on the, um, on the side of not being very not being very strong, let's just say that. Not a strong gut health, a strong microbiome, not flourishing. So then there's a hepatitis B, which again, do some research on that one, but the hepatitis B is given to every single woman in this country because they're afraid they're going to miss a potential drug addict or somebody else who has hepatitis, which is very rare, by the way, and they would get tested for that ahead of time, and it would be positive. And then at that point, you can decide if you wanted to give your baby the hepatitis B vaccine. But let's just go ahead and give every baby it. That's logical. <laughs> Not so much. And so I want you to think about what's in some of these vaccines too, right? You've got formaldehyde and mercury in some of them still. Not all of them, but they all have formaldehyde almost aluminum, other heavy metals, preservatives, aborted fetal DNA, which is how they begin to grow and culture a vaccine in an egg too often. So then there's a hepatitis B. So this is his, his route so far is poor gut health because of the IV of antibiotics, the eye goop, more antibiotics, the hepatitis B vaccine, and then a, a good old baby wash of toxic Johnson & Johnson uh, shampoo. <laughs> so yes, 
I don't know if that's necessarily setting our, our children up for success. That, that's a question that you'll have to answer for yourself, but I think you know the answer to that one. So then we just move about in our life and um, our son just was not thriving. Um, I did continue to vaccinate him because even though I spaced out the visits, he still received them. So there was the DTAP and the HIB and, you know, your standard schedule, although spaced out, which means by the time he got to around the age of one, he was considered very behind by traditional pediatric standards. And not only that, but his health in general, looking back, was not the greatest. He had multiple ear infections, which meant more antibiotics. Because again, I wasn't still in a place of questioning. I questioned, but I didn't feel strong enough to do something about it. I didn't feel strong enough to say, abort, like abort this plan. We're doing something else. Doing a complete 180. I wasn't there yet. But I was feeling as though I needed to question little by little. And, and I do think in those moments that were tiny, they were building up as something stronger in me that would come out when he was fully vaccine injured. And we'll get to that in a moment. But those little moments actually add up. And if we're willing to listen to them, if we're willing to work through that, they will never steer us wrong. It's your intuition. It's your mama intuition. It's not going to steer you wrong, friends, I promise. But are we listening to it or are we allowing other voices to come into, into our, our minds and, in, in, and steer us a different way? Are we allowing fear to rule us? Are we doing the research? Are we so afraid that our child is going to die of measles? Or should we be more afraid of what's in that measles vaccine? That's a question. So he was not super healthy his first year of life. And then it got to the point where, like I said, he was a bit behind. And we had finally been kicked out now of two pediatric practices. <laughs> so so I was spacing them out, but they they got to a point where they weren't happy with me spacing them out. And so I was asked to leave, which was humiliating. And if you're a pediatrician listening to this, First of all, you're probably already in defense mode. You're probably you're probably already screaming and calling me a quack, and I don't care if you do because I'm not, and I will stand in my truth until my dying day, and the truth will always come out. It might take years, but the truth will come out. And by the way, you, the pediatrician, are meant to service us, the parent. We're your customer, not the other way around. So... I was kicked out and asked to leave of two practices, and we found a third one. They were okay with me spacing them out as well, but we had gone to an appointment where it was supposed to be the doctor that that we trusted that was okay with us spacing out. He was not there, and it was the on-call doctor. And, you know, at the time, I thought to myself, I should probably leave. I remember sitting in that waiting room I was actually pregnant with our second son, very pregnant, very hormonal, very emotional. I should have just walked up and left, but I didn't. And I went into that office, went into that cold white room with our, with our oldest son, who at the time was now about 13 months old. And the doctor came in and it was almost like an attack from the get-go is how I felt. It was your son is behind. We need to catch him up today or you can't continue to come here. And not only that, but you're an irresponsible mother that he is this far behind. Do you know? Do you know that your child could die? Your child could catch polio and die. Your child could catch measles and die. We need to catch him up. This is what happens every day in a pediatric office. The fear, the shaming, the gaslighting, the calling you crazy when you're not. You're the mother. You're the final say. You're the line in the sand. And he got me. I was crying. I was very pregnant. I was sweating. I should have left that office. I should have just walked out. But I didn't. 
And to this day, I don't really know why I didn't other than the only way, the only way I can rationalize it in my brain, even 14 years later, or actually, well, that would be 13 years later, is that I didn't know I could say no. I didn't know. I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know that I could walk out. I didn't know that I could say, hey, Mr. Pediatrician, you can't talk to me like that. Don't treat me that way. I didn't know that I didn't even, I, I could even not go to well checks. I mean, imagine that, not going to well checks. What a rebel. Because they'll fear you and they'll scare you and they'll say, we're going to call child services. We're going to do this or that. But my friend, you hold the power. You get to make the decision. So I relented because of threats and because I didn't know. And my son received nine vaccines in that visit. And he was changed forever. We did bring him back, but he was changed for a very long time. And I can't take it back. I can't take it away. I would almost do anything to go back to that place in my life and walk out. But then a part of me is also that this is a part of our story. This is how we've helped thousands upon thousands of parents realize that you can say no to that you have a choice, that you get to decide, that the ball's in your court, that you get to research, that you hold the power, you hold the decision-making ability. But please know, you can't take it back. Once the vaccine is in, it's in. And it's a chance. It's a Russian roulette. Will it cause damage in my child? I don't know. Will my child die from a side effect? I don't know. Will they get autism? I don't know. Will they develop an extreme food allergy? I don't know. Will they have cognitive issues or even extreme disabilities? I don't know. It's Russian roulette. Because that really is what vaccines are. It's like playing Russian roulette because you don't know how your child, how your child's body is going to react to that because every single body is different. And we have a system of medical care. I shouldn't even call it care. We have a system of medical, with the medical industrial complex. <laughs> we have a corrupt system that treats every single human being the same when every single human being's body is different. And unique. Every child's body is different, which means every child's body has different needs. We also have a system of extreme fear that if you don't get this injection into your child, your child could die. But there is nowhere a conversation of food, of health, of gut health, of lifestyle choices, of how you build a strong terrain, of the fact that you don't die from measles. Do you know how rare that is? That we have a system, a medical industrial complex system that operates best in trauma care, not health care. And we have to understand that distinction. So after that happened, he was immediately different. He wasn't the same. He lost whatever words he had. It was as if he was living in his own little world. We lost him. We completely lost the, the little boy that I knew, the little boy that had a light in his eyes, and suddenly there wasn't a light there anymore. And then began the process of waking up. The process where I had a choice, I had a choice to ignore it and to listen to the narrative that it's not the vaccine. Autism just happens to pop up around age two, just randomly, 
No explanation. Can't explain it. Not genetic. Even though the world has thrown billions of dollars towards autism research, still not genetic. Or I could choose to dig deeper. I could choose to go, you know what? Something happened. And I'm going to learn from this moment. And we're going to choose a different course going forward. We're going to learn from this. And I'm going to heal my son. I'm going to get my son back because he was fine. And then there was damage. And then he wasn't fine. Cause, effect, cause, effect. But they don't want you to believe that. They don't want you to connect the dots. And back then, remember, I checked the boxes. Like well checks, vaccinations. I carried mom guilt immediately when I realized the damage that I had agreed to. But please know that as parents, we cannot know what we do not know. And that is why I share our story. That is why I truly want you to understand that you have a choice. That you don't have to fit into the box. That there is another way. And that yes, quite possibly, you're being lied to. And I think that's the one of the hardest emotional parts of this is the realization and acceptance that people who supposedly have our best interest in mind and who want our children to supposedly be healthy actually lie to us. And again, whether they lie uh, with a awareness about that, like with an actual evil agenda, I like to believe that most people don't have an evil agenda. I like to actually believe the best in humanity. But that's probably just how they're trained. Most, most books that they read in medical school are actually written by the pharmaceutical companies. They get about five minutes of training on nutrition, if that. They never get training on side effects of vaccines. In fact, you can even look at the last two years and how corrupt the VAERS system is, the vaccine reporting system, and that less than 1% of things are actually reported because doctors don't want to take two hours to fill out a form. So maybe you will ask questions because I didn't years ago. Maybe you will feel that confidence in you. And maybe you're just starting out. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing the words that you can prevent autism and you can reverse autism. Maybe you didn't know. And I'm not saying it's going to be an easy journey, by the way. Prevention? Prevention is pretty cut and dry. Don't toxify the body. It's pretty cut and dry. You can look at studies that have been done and, and keep in mind the medical industrial complex will not do studies on vaccinated versus unvaccinated children for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is the argument that they use, is that it would be cruel to keep vaccines from a child because vaccines are the only way that children apparently stay alive. It also is unethical to purposely inject aluminum and mercury and formaldehyde into a child to see what happens. But that's exactly what's in vaccines. So that's exactly what we're doing. It's just that these babies and these children are lab rats. They're actually in the experiment themselves. But there have been some, some like studies people have done outside of the system to show and prove that unvaccinated children are actually healthier and thriving much more than vaccinated children. So once I began connecting the dots between what our current lifestyle choices were and then his diagnosis of autism, that's really when I began to ask a lot of questions. The moment that he received the nine shots in that visit, 
I was paralyzed. I didn't have the wherewithal about me to take the big old red pill. I was devastated. I was more in an emotional state of loss and grief and holy cow, what just happened to my child? What did I just do? The guilt that I placed on myself and the shame. So see, guilt and shame are a little bit different, right? Guilt is like, yep, I did something wrong. Shame is I'm a bad person. And that's what happens. That's why many parents do not move forward in the healing journey because underneath the surface is the shame game. It's I'm a bad person. And as human being, that's very hard to rectify in ourselves. It's very hard to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, I'm a bad person. I have shame. And that, I believe, is truly what keeps people from healing. It's truly what keeps parents from seeing the other side and knowing that they can actually do something to help their child. And it's going to take work. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take determination. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take probably adjusting a lot of things in their life and having boundaries and stepping into that power. But they don't because of shame, because I was there. So I know how that feels. And then that shame turns into anger. And anger can keep us from things. Now we can transmute anger into a positive, but not until we dump shame. We have to, we have to, like it, we're carrying around these suitcases full of shame and we have to drop that because it's okay that we didn't know, but when we know, we are compelled to choose differently. We're compelled. So I began connecting the dots, asking questions, and my gut just told me, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't continue to allow my child to become sicker. And a lot of those questions were met with resistance, resistance from everywhere, resistance from family members, from friends, from the internet. Back then it was just Facebook, uh, mostly. I, mean, I don't think I was on Instagram at the time. From medical professionals. And we, we oftentimes get that resistance initially, by the way, in those well checks. So I want you next time, if you're still choosing to do well checks, it's a choice. Dig a little bit deeper and ask yourself, why am I doing a well check? Or if I really feel like I need to feel comfort, to have a second opinion, to have somebody I can bounce ideas off of, you need to go find the person who's going to honor that. It might be a chiropractor. It might be a DO. It might be a pediatrician. It might be a rogue one. It probably would be a rogue one. One that's probably not taking insurance, by the way. But that is where the resistance begins in that office that is supposed to support you as a parent, that is supposed to want the best for your child, but yet never talks about gut health, never talks about the toxins in food and pesticides and what the insert says and what's in these vaccines, never talks about terrain, only germs. Germs are going to kill you. So that is often where we are met with resistance. And that is where I was met with a lot of resistance. And I wasn't strong enough in the beginning. And I want you to be strong enough. So I began to ask questions, advocating for every option I could find. And then I found my mama bear. <laughs> and I found it in the neurologist's office. So I'm skipping a bit of our story because I'm going to go back and unpack some other pieces of it. Like I said, this is probably going to be a series. And it was in the neurologist's office because I felt like I needed an official, I just needed something official. And I don't know why I felt that way back then. I think I thought, oh, actually, I know it was because I needed more therapy or I needed this diagnosis to be, uh, you know, qualify him to get extra therapy or all the things that we might need for him. So I went and I seeked out the top neurologist in Orange County, California. And I sat in that office 
and just the long, the short story of the long, the, the short version, I'll say, is that she was cold. She had zero bedside manner. She told me never to have any more kids because they would have autism too. She told me that my newborn son, my second son, would also have autism because, of course, all boys have autism, especially if they're brothers. And she completely dismissed my questions about, hey, can I do something to help him be healthier? What about changing his diet? What about removing gluten? What about this? What about that? I was met with such vitriol. But I needed that. I needed that moment to wake me up. And I needed that moment for my eyes to be fully opened and to turn that anger into a positive. So that's really where the anger I felt, the frustration turned into action and I wanted to prove her wrong. So I channeled that into a positive space. I still was dealing with shame. I dealt with that for a very long time. That'll be a whole separate episode. But that's where I found it. Now, listen, I'm completely aware that in this world, especially to that neurologist, autism and recovery are never used together. And again, there's some reasons behind that. There's the lies. There's the money. There is the... um, one-track narrative. There's the fear that they want to place parents in. There's a lot of reasons. Because imagine if all of a sudden the, the, the script was flipped a little bit. That, oh yeah, you can help your child. Oh yeah, you can recover autism. Oh yeah, you can lessen those symptoms. Oh, and by the way, you can also prevent it. I mean, I'm very aware of this. This is the world I've lived in for years. But I've also seen freedom, not just in our life, but in the lives of others through our testimony, through our story, through our hope, through our belief that there was more out there to support not only my son's body and brain, but every child's body and brain. And it came in the form of a lot of different things, right? So there's obviously therapy, revamping our kitchen, making lifestyle changes, healing the gut, raw camel milk, oils, essential oils, you know, those things that people love to tell you are quack, but they actually work. And a consistent belief of positivity and hope. This is just a piece of our story, guys. It's our story. It's our truth, and it happened. It's okay to create your own story. It's okay for you to go a different direction than maybe where you've been going so far. It's okay to say no. It's okay to cling to hope instead of despair. Whatever you choose, I just want you to feel confident and not coerced into doing what you do for you and your family every day. You always have a choice. And that choice is powerful. That choice is a gift. It's your divine right. You do not have to listen to somebody who shames you. You do not have to listen to somebody that says the only way to health is through a needle. Because I have proof that that's not true. Our youngest has never been vaccinated and she is the healthiest child I have ever met in my life. Next to other children who are not vaccinated, by the way. Man, she gets a little fever, a little cough, a little cold, a little flu, which is all normal, by the way. That's how you build your terrain. That's how you build antibodies is to be exposed to something naturally, not through a needle. She bounces back in 24 hours. She's clearly thriving In a world that says your child can't thrive unless they're injected with 89 vaccines by the time they're six or seven, which path do you want to take? And I think also the question to ask yourself is, why do I feel nervous about choosing something I believe in? 
is it because I'm truly afraid of illness? And if that's the case, then we have to work on that. We have to work on building your confidence as it surrounds terrain, as it surrounds how the body actually works, the immune system, the cell-mediated and humoral immune system. And why does that even exist? To build antibodies naturally, to help protect our bodies the way that they're designed to work. So is it a fear of illness and sickness? And how do you build your confidence in that arena? You build it every day. You build it by making the lifestyle changes and seeing what happens in your home, seeing how much healthier your family becomes, seeing how much healthier you become, seeing how much more confident you become, how much money you save by not going to urgent care and well checks and then this medication and this over-the-counter and this Tylenol and this NyQuil and this and this and this and this and this. And remember, it's Russian roulette. Because the path of allowing the body to do what it has been designed to do is pretty solid for centuries. The path of a synthetic and thinking that health comes from a needle, there's a side effect and there always will be. And we just never know what that could be in our bodies. But I know for a fact that making good choices, eating good food, taking care of stress, getting good sleep, removing toxins from the home and not cleaning with bleach and, and other toxic cleaners and turning on the candles and plugging in the Febreze and, or, or spraying the Febreze and, and plugging in the plugins and brushing teeth with fluoride and all the things. I know for a fact that when, when we overhaul that area of our life, we get healthier. Are we as a society really healthier with this many things being injected into our children? So just remember, you get to choose. You get to listen to your intuition. It's a gift. And it's never going to steer you wrong. So is it there? Is it that there is, is really a fear of illness or is there something else at play? Is it, um, is it really just confidence that you don't have to go to well check if you don't want to, that you can stand up to your pediatrician and you can question them, that you can say no. But I'll tell you that when we're working on the daily things, so like when we're choosing the stuff that, that promotes health, the other piece, the confidence piece, just kind of naturally comes with it because you see it before your very eyes. You're experiencing it every day. It's very experiential. If the health of my children is improving by us making different choices, then if and when something happens that maybe they break a bone and we go to the, the ER, I have more confidence now because of everything I've done over here in my life to change and all the confidence I've built in the health arena, that spills over into these other areas that are truly what I would consider more trauma medicine, where we can be blindsided there. We can feel as though our backs are against a wall because we haven't built that confidence. That is a little piece of our story. I just wanted to share um, kind of an kind of an overall big picture perspective here. I'm going to dig into it more, like I said, with some other episodes. Um, as always, you are welcome to contact me anytime. I love helping parents. You can contact me through uh, the Warrior Center. So it's thewarriorcenter.com. That is actually a private community that I have where I help parents every day find their confidence and teach them. And we talk about all the things. It's not just for autism. There is a big piece of it in there for that, but it's everything. It's an amazing community to help you build your confidence and help walk. And it's a place where I can walk beside you side by side, one-on-one, -on -one, and really help you closely. So thewarriorcenter.com. I also recommend if you want to dig more into our story, 
see the action plan, read a little bit more in depth or a lot more in depth is our is the book that I wrote on our story, which is Autism Reimagined. And you can find that at autismreimagined.com. You can also find it on Amazon for Audible and Spanish versions. And you can find me on Instagram at The Warrior Center. You can also find me on Facebook at Jody Meschuk. So thank you guys for listening today. It's been an episode that I've kind of been wanting to do for quite some time. And I hope that it blessed you in some way and built your confidence because in the end, remember, you are the line in the sand. You hold the keys and you are the gatekeeper of your home. And it's such a gift to step into that. And I know that you may not feel equipped. You may not feel that you have the confidence, but you do. You were made for this. And if your child is currently struggling with something, whether it be autism, ADHD, food allergies, asthma, we call it the four A's because it's an epidemic and it doesn't need to be an epidemic. It was not an epidemic until the vaccine schedule blew up and toxins were injected into our food and chemtrails in the sky and all the things. These things were not epidemics. So there is a cause and effect there. But just know that there's hope. Yes, you can help your child thrive. Yes, your child can detox. Yes, your child can heal. And if you're a new mom listening to this, there are choices that you can make today that can dramatically alter the course of your child's life for the better, for good, for thriving, for health. And you get to make those choices. Nobody else does. The pediatrician doesn't get to tell you what to do. You get to tell the pediatrician what you're doing. You get to tell the hospital, if you're delivering in a hospital, the way you want your delivery to go. You also can choose a home birth too, which by the way, I would highly recommend. (laughs) But I know that's not always the case. I mean, it's not always possible for everybody. So anyways, I appreciate you guys listening today. More to come on this. And um, thank you for just being a part of this community. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining the episode today. As a reminder, you can connect with me over at thewarriorcenter.com. You can also grab my book, Autism Reimagined, on Amazon, available both Audible, ebook, Spanish, English, and you can also head to therighttorule.com for some freedom gear. Remember this, my friends, you are a sovereign human being and you hold the power, not the government. See you next time.